I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. 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 Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I am Tom, ready to do some interviewing. Bionic. You know, that's sort of a generic middle name this week. Didn't really apply to the topic. I don't know a lot of foreshadowing. Tom, we found Elijah. <laughs> Bionic. Okay, that? well, that's better than nothing. <laughs> I think he deserved better than that. Uh, this week, uh, Futurians, we have uh, joining us on the Future Quake show, uh, Elijah Friedemann, who is the host of the Millennial Perspective blog. And we're going to be talking this week about the topic, A Voice from the Millennial Generation Speaks. So, Mr. Friedemann, I want to tell you it is a pleasure to have you join us here on Future Quake for your first of what I hope to be many visits. Yeah, thanks. No, it's it's great to be here and talk to you guys and kind of throw some ideas back and forth and just have a good time with it. Amen. Amen, brother. Well, let me introduce you uh, to our Futurian listeners by saying uh, that you have just turned 18 years old, correctly? Yep. Correct. And uh, you write the Millennial Perspective at rightlyconcerned.com. You also operate your own blog, uh, the millennialpundit.blogspot.com, which we'll have linked here at the FutureQuake site. Uh, You give a commentary twice on the nationally broadcast uh, The Matt Friedman Show on American Family Radio, and also are a columnist for the Great Bend Tribune. And your work has been quoted on The Ed Show on MSNBC, uh, Christianity Today, uh, CBS News, NPR, and the Washington Post on Faith blog. And uh, judging from that background, it's really just wow. sad to see that it seems like you squandered your first 18 years in the idleness yeah. and unproductivity. Yeah. Uh, it's a shame I can't sh- share more to show with you for the last 18 years. Uh, and that you have so little to show for yourself so far. Wow, man, I'm impressed. You know, hopefully you can do a lot of catching up in the next yeah. few years. Yeah, you know, I'm going to try. Thing. I want to make sure your audience knows uh, not to let those words, you know, make them think that I am anything more than just a typical 18-year-old. So just I've been blessed to have these opportunities. Yeah, well, we understand that. But uh, uh, like we told you before the show started, I do I do hope you sort of remind some of the uppity kids at class graduation, you know. But some of your experiences. I was with quoted that. on MSNBC. Yeah. You know, some of them probably got like a a four H ribbon or something like that. You know, <laughs> make sure that they see that. Uh, to begin our discussion, uh, could, could you fill us a little bit uh, in further on your background in your upbringing, including your relationship with Christ? Yeah, absolutely, man. That's a that's a loaded question too. So much. Well, in 30, I'll, I'll se- to, thirty seconds or less, please. Thirty seconds. All right. No, just I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to just encapsulate it. It might be a few minutes, but uh, I just want to kind of let you know where I'm coming from. I, I've grown up in a Christian home all my life. My dad's a pastor right now and a seminary professor. He has a talk radio show, so I've just been around this uh, my whole life. I've been homeschooled my whole life uh, by my mom, which has been a great experience. Um, I'm one of six kids. I'm actually the third oldest of six. I've got two older brothers, a younger sister, and two younger brothers. Um, so all of this is, has kind of given me a unique perspective on life and an interesting chance to develop some views and some talents and some skills that most people who just would go to normal school with a normal family wouldn't get. And uh, I'm so thankful for those sorts of things. Um, mm-hmm. As far as being saved, I, when I was five years old, um, I started asking the question, 
you know, what does it mean to be saved? What's, what's a Christian? What is this all about? And I'd been around it, of course, from the time I was born. So I knew a good bit about it already. And so at the age of five, I, I sat down with my mom, and we talked about it, and, and I ended up accepting and believing in Jesus as my personal Savior. And I know a lot of people think, you know, five years old, that's, that's really young. You know, you can't really understand. And, and I'll admit, you know, I didn't fully understand the complete doctrine of justification and regeneration and adoption and all of that. But I knew that I was a sinner. I had done wrong. I knew the difference between doing what God wanted and doing what I wanted. And I knew that Jesus had died for my sins on the cross. And so at that point, I mean, that, that's what you need to make a decision to put your faith in Christ. So that's what I did at five years old. You know what? I bet your I bet your dad, as a seminary professor, doesn't fully understand some of those concepts either. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and I'm willing to say now, you know, I still really don't understand why Jesus did it completely. I mean, I know he wanted to redeem us, but it makes it makes no sense. And that's part of Christianity. You know, the sacrifice Jesus made doesn't make a lot of sense from our human perspective. Um, So, and you know, I would say that five. Um, and from then, I've, I've gone on, I, I've continued to deepen my relationship with Jesus, my understanding of, of spiritual issues, of theology, of all of this. And I've been discipled by my parents, which has been incredible. And I've had a lot of unique opportunities, as you've talked about in your introduction. It's just been a, a wonderful ride. Um, and I want to talk about a couple formative events in my life. Um, one happened when I was seven years old. My dad planted a church, Day Spring Community Church. He was the founding pastor, and, and he's still the senior pastor of it. And planning that, I was intimately involved with it. We actually launched in the skating rink, so we'd have to cart in the stuff every single week and take it out. And I was always a part of that. So that really had a big impact on me, being around church planning at a young age and being involved in the church at a young age, and not just coming on Sundays and coming on Wednesdays, but really being in, you know, a part of what God was doing in that church and outside of that church. That, that's really helped me. Another thing is that my family is really missional, uh, and this is all thanks to my parents, but, but they've created an environment in our house to where we all know that God's got a mission for us, and it's our duty to fulfill that mission, whatever it may be. So my dad, my dad will say prayers over us, like, God, send my children to the dark places of the world, the places where no one else wants to go. Is he, to did he mean like no future, one else wants to do. Did What's he that? mean like going on future quake? Is that what he was implying? Yeah, with things that? like that. You know, just yeah. going out with you know crazy people and talking to them on yeah. future quake. That's Definitely a place thing. nobody wants to go. <laughs> yeah. A very dark place. So you can check that one off with yeah. him. Yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Just... No, that, that's absolutely fine. <laughs> and and so he'll, he'll say, and then he'll even say things like, you know, Lord, if you need them to bleed and die for your mission, for your cause. Let these let these kids be the be the ones to do that. Yeah. So you know, grow, growing up in a house like that and having things like that prayed over you, it really shapes your worldview to realize, hey, it's not about me, right. it's about God. Um, you, and so those, that's just kind of in a nutshell who I am and and why I am what I am. Well, you know, we joke with you about those things, and that's because we know you're secure in Christ, and you you know how our show is. We we can laugh and have joy because uh, we're we're secure. You know where we are with oh, the absolutely, Lord. Absolutely, yeah. So, but. Uh, so you didn't have a time of backsliding uh, in like the age of six or seven or anything like that where you went off to the far country? To tell you what, I was, I was one headstrong kid, so it was a, it was a, a long journey of, of continual sanctification, I think, through the, okay. the rod of discipline okay. uh, exercised by my dad and mom. So, yeah. Okay. Well, you know, when, when your dad said that uh, 
he would want that his kids would uh, bleed and suffer, you know, for the cause. It's not, it's not like the Islamic thing where they tie the bombs to your chest or anything like that. Yeah, not, not quite like that. I don't okay. think, maybe, maybe, but I don't, I don't think that's what he envisioned. Okay. You know what? It's refreshing to hear your testimony because a lot of the people we have on Future Quake, their testimony is one of having spent most of their life away from God, estranged from him, and having all sorts of missed opportunities and regrets. And sometime in a later stage in life, they came around and, and came to serve him. And as we know in Scripture, the ideal is the scenario like we see with Timothy and others, where we create an environment where, where our children can be raised with the proper knowledge of the Lord at an early age and can be so secure in it and see it in their parents that they can build on top of that from there. So, um, you know, there might be some, you know, maybe a lot of our listeners who, who think, boy, you just, and they would think that about me too because I had a similar upbringing myself, uh, to thinking, boy, you sure, you missed out a lot. You really don't understand the ways of the world. Um, but there's a special blessing when you've been in an environment where you can be secure like that at a young age and not have a lot of baggage behind you. I know we've got a, a guest uh, in our next interview we're doing that was really, really popular in the rock music industry and was, a, was, was really top in his game, but he had a sort of an estranged family as far as religion and just had a whole wake and wreckage of regrets behind him in relationships with other people. So I, I just want to tell you it's an encouragement to hear hear your testimony is one that hopefully we would have more prevalent in the Christian community. Yeah, you know, and, and at one point in my life, I, I didn't wish I had a, a different testimony, but, you know, I, I thought it would be a hindrance in being able to witness to people, you know, just saying, hey, I was saved at right. five, I grew up in a Christian family. But I've come to realize that it's, it's actually a great help when you're witnessing to someone to say, look, this is what Jesus can do in your life. Yeah. He, can, he can redeem you from this and give you a life that's pure and holy. So I, I think in a way it, it's, it's a great witnessing tool. Right. You know, the only thing is in churches a lot of times uh, when people would stand up and do that, you don't get as much in the offering plate if you don't have a little jazzy or testimony yeah, or yeah. drugs and stuff. And the, 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 you know, real boring ones don't, don't get that kind of effect. You know, one last suggestion I'd like for you to pass on to your mom about your upbringing and homeschooling. We have a big homeschooling community here. I, I, what I think we need to do is start including uh, homeschool medical schools as well. Mm-hmm. Where we could actually get medical doctors, amateur and dentistry and whatnot. Yeah, we can choose that our parents, like you know. Idea. But you'd have to have like cadaver home delivery and stuff like that for surgery and that kind of thing. So anyway, <laughs> I think that we might have to work on that. One. Bring that up in one of your articles. See if that flies. Yeah, you know, I'm not, I'm not getting in line behind that. I'm not, I don't want to be the guy who gets to handle all the dead bodies. <laughs> you know what? You don't see a, a possibility in the homeschool medical school, huh? Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't want to be, uh, you know, wet blanket here, but uh, no. Okay. Okay. Well, let's get into some real material here. Uh, you probably wouldn't uh, be surprised, based on what you were just talking about here, to find out that you seem to be different from most people your age, in terms of what you do to fill your time. And we just let our listeners know a little bit of your background of the kind of things you do with your writing, your blogs, and the subject matter, and the kind of pursuits that you have. Why do you think you are different? from the average 17, 18-year-old and what you think is important, how you spend your time, and why you yeah. have these different passions? I, I think there are a couple of really easy answers to this. First of all, God. I mean, the grace of God allowing me to have an environment like I do, to, to have been discipled like I have been, I think that's obviously the, the first person uh, I would, or the first you know, thing I would give glory to is God. But I think also my parents have had a huge impact. Um, their willingness to homeschool me, um, and to and to do that 
and that's a huge sacrifice for parents to make. And so to, to homeschool me and then intentionally disciple me, things like that, um, pulling me out of the world. Now, I, I'm not completely removed from the world. I, I still see lots of tough cases. I still am involved with a lot of stuff, but I haven't had to experience that in my own life. So I think that helps so much to have, you know, a, a protected area of your home that's not in the midst of all of this. Not that you're not that you're completely sheltered from it all, but that you're not in the middle of all of it, of all the junk in the world. I think that's had a tremendous impact. So my parents and the grace of God, I think both of those are just the very easy and obvious um, answers to that question. That's that's why I'm different. It's nothing about me. There's nothing special about me, but it's just because my parents did a wonderful job of raising me and discipling me. And, and God had a lot of grace on me. Well, that, that's a good way to look at it. If I could sort of give you my perspective on it. Um, a lot of people grow up in such dysfunctional avenues or uh, environments, uh, or, or they've just been sort of their own worst enemy and things, that they spend a lot of their focus in trying to fix themselves mm. and trying to overcome these kind of things and deal with it. And, and uh, Brother Tom and I have talked about this in the Christian bookstore shelves. Most of it is fix-it kind of stuff for ourselves, you know. How to make How yourself to. feel better. Oh, yeah. Right. Like yeah. the guy on the front cover. That's right. But, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's really, uh, <laughs> it, it's really people are so self-centered and focused because their life has been made a mess, either from the way they've been raised, something traumatic they've gone into, or what they've done to themselves. And so... Their their content of their pursuits is going to be focused on that, and the church sometimes really uh, you know perpetuates that by this focus on self-centeredness, focus on our problems, focus on on how life is not the way we want it to be. But but you were raised in an environment that had at least a you know no family's perfect, but a certain commensurate amount of health to it that allowed you to look outside yourself and look at problems in the world and take on a responsibility for the needs of other people rather than be focused on yourself. Do you think that's that's a part of it? Oh, I think so. And I, I think I think that goes back to the the being protected is that I yeah, I didn't have to deal with that in my own life. So I was then able to see things maybe from a you know, a different perspective just because I wasn't in the middle of all of that trying to fight it off for myself. Now I'm you know I, I mean not not to say that I don't I don't deal with any problems but I'm, I'm not facing all of these seemingly insurmountable things that many youth face, and I'm able to approach it from a different perspective. So I think that's, a, that's right on what you just said. Well, you know, Tom and I, we even our Christian friends a lot of times think we're crazy for spending the time we spend in ministries like Future Quake and some of the other ministries he has. Why are we focused in caring about what's going on in the world, what's caring with other people, trying to intervene on other people who are are being mistreated or having other things done to them uh, because, you know, we see a lot of the Christian world, even people who are every day Sunday in church, either, again, focused on the crises in their own life and the messes they've made or totally focused on materialism and how they can, you know, increase uh, additional wealth or somehow have their, their needs met or entertainment or things like this. And all this materialism is a substitute from actually taking a big part of your life and looking out for the needs of the world and our community. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you, you get to speak each week on uh, American Family Radio, which has a very large national audience. In fact, I was just talking to uh, one of our pastors at our church uh, a few minutes ago, and he he was listening to the network uh, here locally uh, today. But but you know sometimes you have taken positions that are counter to other popular people at the, at the network, such people such as Brian Fisher, uh, someone who we, we've mentioned a number of times on our show. And even maybe even your own father, uh, who has a show on the network. 
Uh, I know that is tough for anybody to do, but particularly for somebody your age, uh, encountering the opinions of these very influential men, not only senior figures, but very influential nationally. What did you go through in your mind to embolden you to take such stands? And how, how have they responded under these circumstances to, to your response? You know, I, first of all, I want to start off by saying uh, a big thank you to the American Family Association and American Family Radio for just allowing me to do the things I do. And it takes a, a good bit of, of trust and kind of a little leap of faith to let, you know, a 16-, 17-, 18-year-old put his opinions out for everybody to see uh, under the name of, of an organization like that. Well, so I agree. I, let, let me say that we do, too. Uh, that shows a maturity to be able to, to see the future and to be able to let somebody like yourself – who has a good firm upbringing but also has a voice from another generation, for them mm-hmm. to have the foresight to have somebody like yourself and to allow this kind of discussion and, and repartee back and forth, that that's to me is a healthy sign because we look at a lot of unhealthy things in Christian media. So it gave yeah, a positive ab- Absolutely. There. And so I, but, you know, I, I want to say a thanks to them just because they allowed me to do this, which has, you know, I don't know if it's always worked out really smoothly, but I, I think it's been, been good from my perspective at least. Um, one of you asked what went through my mind is, you know, I, I have these positions that are sometimes contrary to to what others on the network may say. And I never go into something like this trying to be different. It, it's not it's not a conscious decision just to go against the flow here. Right. But I, I think a lot of the positions I have are just born out of, of what I see around me, what I think, what I feel, what, what I can observe um, and get from, you know, looking at the past and looking at the Bible and trying to take all of that and assimilate it into something that, that makes a lot of sense. So I'm not just approaching this from the conservative standpoint or just from the, the Christian standpoint, although those are both titles that I would, you know, apply to myself. I try to approach it, approach it just from looking at, you know, what, what does this look like in the big scheme of things and, and what does it mean and how does it work into our lives? Um, I think a lot of my, my views come out of a deeply rooted sense of justice that I have. And I think this is really common in my generation. We believe in fairness and equality and justice for all. So a lot of the positions I hold that are sometimes contrary to um, other people on the network, sometimes it's just because, you know, I'm from a different generation and I'm I'm seeing things a little bit differently. Um, and and I, I don't think, you know, obviously there are lots of people on the network, so there's never just one right. position. Um, so often when I, I, I have a, a position, I have a view, there are lots of other people who support it too. So I'm, it's not like I'm the only one going out there mm-hmm. being the contrarian. Um, it's just I am come from a little bit different bent than, than everybody else on there just because I'm younger. So that sometimes means we'll have a, a difference of opinion and a difference of views. Mm-hmm. Well, I, didn't, I don't mean to put you in an awkward position commenting on these specific examples and really focus particularly on, on American Family Radio or any, or any other person. The, the point that I want to make is that um, someone like yourself who is a young person who is very respectful of your elders, respectful of the religious heritage and worldview you've inherited you know, from these people, if, if anybody's going to be respectful of them, you are. Yeah, but absolutely. at the same point, um, you're your own thinker. You do your own reading of God's Word. You do your own perspective of what you think it applies in a worldview. And it takes a lot of courage, I think, for someone like you, I would imagine, to look after these people who you admire and to be able to say, uh, I have a little different view, and here's my reasons why. And I just think that takes a tremendous amount of courage, and I just wish more Christians could handle it in the way that you've handled it. 
that can be tactful, that can be respectful, uh, that try not to put words in people's mouths, but still let your position be heard and, and justify it with you know proper rationale and facts and basis in the Bible. Um, because I, I think that's a great thing you can teach other people is how to do that. People first in your generation, but a lot of our listeners as well too. It's one thing for us to talk third party and just get all frustrated and, you know, complain about what's going on. But you actually take steps to let your voice be heard in the midst of it and let the chips fall. And uh, I I just think that's remarkable. I appreciate that. And I just try to approach things um, through the prism of my worldview, but I try to do it in such a way that even people who completely disagree with me can still say, okay, you know, you raise a legitimate point here, or maybe I completely disagree with you still. But I respect how you presented your case. That's what I'm trying to do at the end of the day. I don't want to you know, make people mad at me. I don't want to get mad at other people uh, with, without need. I'm just trying to present my viewpoint and try to support it as well as I can. Um, now, whether I'm right or, or even wrong sometimes, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's a matter of opinion. But I just try to do it in such a way that even if you disagree, we won't be personal enemies. We can still you know, be friends and disagree on this issue. Right. So you're saying that Christians can actually have a difference of opinion about things and still be friends and still be on the same side? I, I know it's a radical thought, but yeah, I think so. Um, it is a radical thought because yeah. we, 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 we the in basket. <laughs> we're like cells. We like to divide a lot. We don't join a whole yeah. lot. A lot of times, and you know, in the Christian world, we 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 take that Protestant thing to the extreme. We're yeah. protesting against each other. Christian firing squads are in circles, you know. Right, yeah. right, and the fact that we might disagree or maybe not not even willing for certain to embrace the position of a fellow Christian, we see that as a reason to separate ourselves and immediately start accusing the other person of, of heresy right off the bat. And that certainly is not a culture that I think Jesus was intending for us to set up. Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, it's, it's, you know, he, he not only tells us to love our enemies, but we're supposed to love each other, love our brothers. And, uh, and it, all throughout the Bible we see how important it is for the church to be a cohesive unit, working with each other, bearing with each other, loving each other, and not letting petty issues divide them. Now, if there's a major issue, mm-hmm. a major theological problem that comes up, at that point division is necessary to separate ourselves right. from, from wrong things. But at the same time, we can't let the small stuff uh, ruin God's mission that he has mm-hmm. for the church. And we can act like grow, grown-ups. Well, yeah, we talk about recognize there, that's another radical of, thought. Yeah, yeah, act like we, <laughs> you know, we represent Christ even while we have our disagreement. Yeah, and absolutely. the world is watching how we handle these issues. The words we say, not only is God watching what we say, but the world is watching. And they want to see whether we act like people who have the Holy Spirit indwelling in us or if we, you know, act like people who have never been regenerated. And uh, I'm just, I'm just excited to see you know, the precedent that you're setting there. And I don't know of any other case, uh, someone your age in a national Christian media setting that has a similar kind of influence to you. Can you think of sort of a peer to you at your age right now? Uh, you know, n- not that I'm aware of. Now, they may be out there. And I realize there are lots of people my age who are far more talented than me, but I, I just think um, AFA has done something unique here, which is give me a mm-hmm. voice, um, right. which is which I'm very thankful for. And and I think it's been nice for people to hear a different perspective from somebody who's who's young. So I, there's no one else out there that I know of. Not to say there isn't somebody else, but I'm just not aware of them right now. Hmm. Uh, have you gotten feedback from some of the people who you have uh, given a counter opinion to? You know, some of the more well-known speakers. Have they given you any kind of feedback or a type of response to what you said? 
Uh, sometimes, I mean, if, if you if you follow some of the discussions that have happened on on some of the blogs, rightly concerned, especially, uh, we'll, we'll go back. It's, it's never personal. It's never uh, anything we take up, you know, behind closed doors, going at each other. It's, it's always out there in the open. Um, sometimes we'll have a couple of responses, but usually these things, once we air our views in one or two blog posts, uh, one or two articles, it's it's usually over there. I mean, that's we've said what we've said. People can read it. People can take their position on it. There's no reason to keep on beating a dead horse. Yeah. Well, I'd like to talk about one of the incidents. And again, not that I want to point fingers at any individuals or groups. That's not the point. But at least just to give a for instance to our listeners, because it were these kind of incidents that actually made me aware of you and who, and who you are. Uh, there was one such incident that you received a lot of attention for, and even in the liberal press, mm-hmm. uh, was 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 your rebuke to Brian Fisher. Um, a broadcaster who who's very interesting. Uh, they have remarked that basically all the Republican uh, presidential candidates, uh, just about all of them, uh, have really been wanting to be interviewed by him. So he has been a real prominent kind of guy because they all come in and say their things, and then people will rebroadcast what he's what they've said on his show. Uh, over his claims that he made on his show that the Indians deserved. And I'm paraphrasing here, but uh, deserve to be massacred or to have their lands taken and even succumb to alcoholism and other maladies today because they had not been Christians or had not become Christians. Why did you feel the need to give a dissenting view to that position? And, and what did your view comprise in contrast to that? You know, I think this goes back just to my sense of, of justice and equality. I just want to see, you know, what, what is right come about. And I didn't feel like that was, that was right, just from my perspective. And I think as Christians, our duty should be to love. Um, and so it, it's hard to encapsulate the whole discussion we had back and forth here in just a few moments. Um, but, but his, his stand, his, his whole point was that, uh, ultimately was that we as America should be careful um, because we are going down the same path, which is, which is a valid point. Um, I didn't agree with, with how what he used to support that with the um, Native Americans and all of that. And, and my response was was actually pretty simple. Um, I, I just said, you know, God did not call us to judge. God did not call us to justify judgment. That's God's job. I just said our duty is to love people and to help others and to share the gospel of Jesus with those around us. And our job is not to condemn our job is, is to come in after something has happened, after something bad has happened, whether that's from God or just from our own sinful nature, and to go in there and, and be the hands and feet of Jesus. So mm-hmm. my whole point was just that we need to love. And I know that gets thrown around a lot, and a lot of times it's even abused in, yeah. in some liberal Christian circles. But we just need to go in there and love and, and come in behind whatever has happened, whether it's, it's an act of God or whether it's just something evil in the world. We have to go in, and we've got to help. So, so in this case, you know, my whole point was just we don't need to say, hey, the Indians, you know, what happened to them? Um, they deserved it because they didn't believe in Jesus. Um, I just said we need to go in and just love, um, and that's, yeah. that's what should have happened. And, and this whole thing of pointing fingers back and forth at the Indians being wrong, you look all throughout history, and there have been lots of cultures, lots of nations that have been wrong. So just to say that mm-hmm. the Indians deserved it because they were bad, I mean, ultimately we all deserve you know, eternal judgment. So, would you say that even some Christians, maybe in our history, have done some wrong things once in a blue moon? Oh yeah, and ab- absolutely. And so, I, I think it's important not to get caught up in saying, "Hey, these people deserved it," because rather, if we want to say somebody deserved it, we should say, "Hey, we deserved punishment, but praise God that He came and saved us 
Praise mm-hmm. Jesus that he came in and was the substitute for our sins. So I, I just think sometimes as Christians we approach the issues from the wrong perspective. We want to say, hey, they deserved it, when we should say, hey, we deserved it, but God saved us, and mm-hmm. let me tell you how he saved you. Particularly entire people groups, right? Isn't it a tendency for people, even the people who've been part of God's covenant people, whether old or new covenant, uh, to look at people like the Samaritans and make a, mm-hmm. a group judgment on them? Or remember the Ninevites and how, how uh, Jonah looked at the Ninevites as people as a group and how they were just judged and there was no way they were going to get right with God. Um, there, there's always been people groups like this that we've looked at, or even uh, the Jewish people to the Gentiles and the fact that they could never really come to Christ at all. So there's something that's been a prevailing thing that God's had to deal with with his people about looking at entire people groups and making categorical judgments rather than the actions that Jesus took where he took every person one-on-one, including a Roman centurion who said that he had a faith he hadn't seen anywhere in Israel, uh, to a good Samaritan who bound up the wounds of one that uh, none of the priests would actually do at the time, or the woman at the well that he dealt with, and even Cornelius later. So, you know, these were individuals that God had some type of relationship with, but they were part of a people group that if we were making broad decisions, these people would have been condemned by us, you know, much sooner without knowing what God had underway. Uh, That's absolutely true. So we always have to guard against those generalizations. Now, I realize that, you know, stereotypes are necessary sometimes. I mean, you don't just want to throw common sense to the wayside. But at the same time, we have to get on that personal level, like you were saying, and stop dealing with people as a group or as a nation or as even a family. We've got to deal with them as people. And when we start to see the humanity that God made each of us with dignity and worth and respect in his image, at that point, I think, is when we finally start to catch on to what Jesus was trying to, to beat into our heads, if you will. Just trying to teach us that you've got to love everybody and love them as people, not as, not as projects and not as groups, mm-hmm. but as people. You know, that line of thinking that he was saying about their judgment was justified, um, you know, with the, the bad things that happened because they, they didn't have to be Christians, w- would be something that would have set well with Job's friends. Uh, Job's friends had a very clear-cut view that if something bad happened to you, that it meant it was clearly you'd done something wrong against God. Showing that they didn't understand what was going on in the heavenlies. There was something bigger at play that we can read the text of Job and understand there was something far more going on than their limited understanding of how God worked. Uh, and even if you if you look at the early pioneers that came to America, they suffered, like Jamestown and places like this, they had terrible hardships, uh, were wiped out by a large extent. And we could use that same criteria and say, well, God must have not blessed anything they did, because look at the terrible loss that they suffered uh, because of this, you know, or many of the pioneers. So I think it's a, a very, very different, a, a dangerous view for Christians to be taking. And I'm just glad that you that you made a stand on it. And, uh, you know, if there's anybody that should be ashamed about actions involved in that whole thing, I think in some ways it's the Christians. Um, I gave a, a recent talk about uh, the Massachusetts Bay Colony and their, their massacre of up to 700 women and children uh, where we got our, our first Thanksgiving Day activities. That was something I didn't learn in uh, in school in history i didn't learn it in my christian school i went to either um but there were tremendous things and these people were praising the glory to god for the smelling of the burning flesh of the indians uh that were killed in this 
Uh, and thank goodness there were people like uh, Roger Williams who actually went and, and made friendships with the Indians, told them that it was wrong for them to be stealing their land and not paying it. That was certainly against God's will. That was against the Ten Commandments and against any law he had established and, and even covenants back before the Ten Commandments. Uh, and in turn, they rescued him from death. Uh, so he could, uh, you know, establish Rhode Island. So um, it's just amazing to me the wisdom that you have uh, that some people in very, very senior positions, prominent positions of teaching, don't understand some of these fundamental understandings. And and this whole justice issue that you said is a hallmark for your generation, I want to talk about that in a minute, about um, how the prior generation, what you think was different about them in that. But... um, I, I want to ask you about what I think is sort of a related area to the one I just asked, okay. and that is a perspective. What is your perspective on the major push in the conservative Christian community right now to fight Sharia law and to stop Muslim immigration and practice of their faith, building mosques and the like? Um, to me, that's something I see nonstop in my email basket from large-scale missionaries, or uh, excuse me, parachurch uh, organizations, ministries. Uh, where it's a continual bombardment of concern about Muslims taking over our country very, very soon, and that we've, we've, in fact, here in Nashville, where we live right here in the heart of the Bible Belt, uh, we have uh, pastors who've been burning Korans. They've actually been uh, damaging property at mosques and things like this. Uh, what, what is your perspective on what is the appropriate way Christ would have for his church uh, to ad- to address this scenario and, and your thoughts on how it's being addressed right now with the large-scale ministries. You know, th- this is such a difficult topic because there are so many different uh, facets to it. it. It's hard to have one cure-all solution that everyone should follow this principle all the time because th- there are really two widely divergent camps on this. Uh, the first one would tell us that all Muslims are bad. You know, like you were saying before, when, when the Muslim kids start to grow up, they all get suicide bombs attached to them and they go bomb people and that that every single Muslim on the face of the planet wants to see the death of all Americans, which is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, everybody should know that. And then you have the other camp that takes it far to the other extreme that says, you know, Muslims don't want to kill us. There aren't any Muslims who want to kill us. In fact, 9-11 was not because there were Muslims who hated us and that there aren't Muslims right now doing suicide bombings across the world. And it's not Muslims. Well, that, again, is wrong. We have to look at this logically. Um, and it, it, It's tough because, you know, obviously Jesus didn't deal with these exact issues in his day, so it's tough for us to come down with a, a, a you know, a, a line in the sand and say, hey, here's how you do it, and if you cross it, then you're, you're absolutely wrong. I think both of these views are right to a degree. Um, it, on the one side, you have the group that says all Muslims want to kill us. That's not true, but we have to realize there are some there's an element of the Islamic population that does want to destroy America and destroy the Western world. We have to realize that, and we have to act accordingly. At the same time, we have to realize that the large majority of of the Islamic population does not want to destroy America. And they may not like us, they may not like our foreign policy, but they're not out to set off bombs in our airports, and they're not out to hijack our planes. And we've got to realize this. I think we have this view, and I, I think it's, Conservative Christians are susceptible to it, especially that, you know, out there we lose sight of the big picture and we lose sight of all that, but we hear all these stories about Muslims bombing, so we become scared of Muslims. And that's a very dangerous perspective to have. And this goes back to what we were just saying about knowing groups and stereotyping groups 
and not getting to know the people. you got to get to know the people. Came into his church and, and shot him. And, and th- that was terrible And when that happened. And I actually condemned it. I wrote something. I just want to make sure everyone knew I was against it because I, I am part of the pro-life community. I'm against abortion, and so was this guy. He was against abortion, and I didn't want to be labeled as, as the same group as he's part of. If, if they're calling him you know, anti-abortion, well, I'm anti-abortion. So I want to make sure everyone knew that we were separate. And so I would feel outraged if someone lumped me in the same group as this murderer. Likewise, I think we should be outraged if some people try to lump all Muslims in the same extremist group. So we've we got to be practical, we've got to be real, and we've got to realize that you know, there are, the majority of Muslims out there aren't trying to attack us. So we, we just have to realize all these things and then act accordingly. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not trying to dictate foreign policy here. I just think we need to look at these things and then do what we think is right and what we feel is right um, based on the Word of God and based on what we can see around us. When I wanted the teachers on the, the network um, that, that you're at believe that we should stop any kind of immigration of people who are have a Muslim faith, and I think that precipitated one of your responses, if I, remain, if I remember right. As far as a way to address the issue, do you think that's the, the right answer that's appropriate and the one that Jesus would want to just stop their, their immigration in the United States? I don't think so, and I'm, I'm leery to say that you know that's is or isn't the solution Jesus would want, because Jesus addressed his disciples as people, as individuals, not as government. So it's a little bit hard for us to say yes or no. I just think, though, based on our principles that our nation was founded upon, that is the wrong thing to do, because we are we are we believe in equality, we believe in justice, and to say hey, because of, uh, of uh, actions of a few, you are banned from our country. And you can't build mosques or you can't come into our country. I, I absolutely disagree with that view, and I'm, I'll be very outspoken about it too. I'm willing to stand up for the justice, and I'm willing to stand up for equality, even if I'm not one of that group. Because here's the thing: if we say, "All right, no Muslims can come in the country, no mosques can be built," or well, wait 50 years from now when the tides turn and now Christians are the bad guys, well, at that point they'll say, "Hey, no more churches. Hey." All of you Christians here, we're going to deport you. And then, so it, it's a very slippery slope when you start messing with religious freedom. Because when you start doing that, well, it's you know, it's, it's like that quote, and I forget who it was, but back in World War II, you know, first they came for the right. the, the labor unions, and I didn't do it. Then they came for the communists, and then they came for the Jews, you know. And eventually, it just goes down the line, and it's it's going to come back and bite us if we don't stand up for what is right. And, and what history shows is that when you have uh, a certain, even a Christian segment, uh, take over the, the a country, a nation state, and a theocracy. The first people they go after are other Christians, people who have a little different views, whether it's Catholics and Protestants or even between Protestants. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have people like the, the Massachusetts Bay Colony who set themselves as a, a Christian society. Um, they were the city shining on the hill that Reagan talked about. Uh, and what did they do? They began hanging Baptists and Quakers and others. Um, and I'm just so glad to hear you and your generation seize the forethought uh, that when we go, f- when we shoot from the hip with these kind of instinctive kind of things, when first of all we've been made afraid and scared, and that's what a lot of our, uh, I think our parachurch organizations in the U.S. are doing right now, are trying to scare people about this, and they're not being specific on what to say to do. To people of the Muslim faith, mm-hmm. uh, because then when you ask people, well, what is it that you think we should do to them? Should we imprison them? Should we kill them? Should we deport all of them? 
they get very quiet about that. And so they're not filling in that yet. They're really on phase one, which is terrifying everybody in the Christian community. And as we know, the Bible says perfect love casts out fear. And that doesn't mean we shouldn't be prudent. But we have laws. We're a nation of laws where we can have laws protecting everyone's practice of religion. And that not only can work for, for Islamic people, but also for Christians. So the key for Sharia law, it seems to me, is to make sure there's an adequate separation of church and state between civil government and our religious practice to prevent Sharia law from controlling its impact on us, and as well as even dominionist Christians forming, forcing uh, their beliefs on other Christians in society or any other kind of group uh, that wants to force this particular religious belief, Mormons or others, uh, on each other. Uh, I don't see any other answer for it. Uh, otherwise, you're going to have one group as king of the hill uh, taking on everybody else. Yeah, I, I would disagree to an extent with you here, um, respectfully, of course, because I, I think that the difference between Christian rule or Sharia law is that Sharia law is, is fundamentally wrong. It is it is not just, and it doesn't promote equality. Whereas Christians, although they may not act it out properly, uh, the, the, the Judeo-Christian principles are equal and they are just. And so I think to equate the two is a little bit mm -hmm. maybe inappropriate even. But I, I do agree that when you go to one extreme or the other, even if that extreme is, is very, very fundamentalist Christianity taking control, that can be dangerous. Mm -hmm. Well, the, the question comes when we look at history. When Christians, people who profess Christ, who uh, have been given the tools of the state by which they use the coercive power of the state to enforce their religious beliefs, what has been the impact not only to the rest of the nation state, but even to fellow Christians? What you, what you will find is even other Christians, dissenting Christians, have been persecuted and have the course of power of the state used against them. And it has not furthered the purpose or the goals of the church as God has established. God does not need the state to be able to, to accomplish his will through his church. And if the church needs the state, then the this church is no longer relying on the Holy Spirit as, it, as its empowering source to be able to accomplish God's will on earth, uh, I, w I would say. Well, here, here's the counter view to that, and that is, yes, we do need the state. In fact, we need as Christians to not take over the state, but to be a major part of it. Because, for instance, abortion. We've had 50 million babies killed because abortion is legal. Now, if we say, hey, we need the Holy Spirit to guide us, I believe that's extremely important, and we miss out on that. At the same time, we have to have the, the state, and we have to have these laws passed that prevent abortion. So I, I think it's dangerous to go to either extreme again. We have to have the Holy Spirit guiding us, and we can't depend on the state. At the same time, we have to uh, be salt and light to the government and to the state so that we can continue to, to carry out the mission that God has given to us. Well, I know that's a deep issue, and we could probably have a whole show just on that. i yeah. got things to yeah. ask you, but, but I, I'd just like to say in closing to make sure you don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that Christians should be abdicationists and go run off to a monastery. Mm -hmm. and not have impact in these areas. It's just using the course of power of the state to accomplish the will of God. Yeah. I think we have to be extremely careful. And when you mention an, 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 a situation like abortion, abortion is a case which impacts the direct civil rights of another human being. It's not a question of their personal ability to fulfill God or their personal discretion of their relationship with God. It's a life or death issue on whether another human being has its life taken away by another human being. And I think the Bible is very, very clear on that, that that is the domain of civil government, uh, in, particularly in Gentile governments or any government, is to protect uh, 
uh, the, the weak and defenseless like this. And so it, it, that should be a slam dunk for Christians, I think, wherever you fall on this, that this is a, a life and death situation. It's not an, an issue of a per, personal relationship you have with God and, and what your convictions are and what Scripture says. It is a case of someone's life being at risk and one person taking away the civil rights of another person. So uh, I, that's the only caveat I would put to your example with abortion. I, I, I think there, there's other factors at play there. Um, mm-hmm. You you said in your blog that you look forward to seeing the day of Christian persecution in America. And, of course, that would raise a lot of eyebrows with people because Mm -hmm. that's one reason why they want to stop the Sharia law and everything else, because they want to try to prevent the kind of persecution of of Christians that would happen if that did. Could you elaborate on why you you look forward to that day? Yeah, you know, that's a very caustic statement to make. And I I did it. Uh, I, I put a lot of thought into it, and I, I said it very carefully because I didn't want to just make this statement that I'd regret in a year or two or in five or ten years. So I put a lot of thought before I said that, but but I still stand behind it. And I'm just gonna I'm gonna run over to what I said. I've got a copy of of what I wrote here. Um, and, and the main reason I want to see this is because the American church it's stagnant and dying. Um, and I, I've got great respect for the church, the institution, and I have great hope for the future. But at the same time, you know, you look at a church in America and you see very little fruit that's there. You see very little happening that's that's exciting and that uh, people are responding to God in America. And that's just how it is. Now, you look at China, you know, where millions of people are coming to know Jesus as their personal Savior. And, and the Holy Spirit is moving over there and people are responding. And you wonder what's the difference. Well, there's a lot of differences, but in China, it's tough to be a Christian. And if you become a Christian and it's known, you will likely face repercussions. I just saw an, an AP article recently that talked about how 30 Christians were arrested for celebrating Easter. Um, there's persecution over there. And a lot of people in America say, oh, you know, I, I hope persecution never comes, and I don't want to see persecution, and, and I hope that doesn't happen. But I think one of the reasons that American Christianity is going down the drain right now is because we have no suffering, we have no pain, we have nothing preventing us from being a Christian. Not only is it, is it easy to be a Christian, it's actually beneficial. I mean, if you look back at all the presidential candidates recently, you know, you're not going to have one who stands a chance who's going to say, hey, I'm not a Christian. Why? Because he would not stand a chance of winning if he said that. It, it, would, it would kill his campaign right there. So I, I think we have it so easy here that it's actually making us sloppy. And you have people who say they're Christians who, who don't act like it at all. Now, over in China, if you say you're a Christian, you'd better believe it and you'd better mean it because you could very easily uh, face the repercussions. So when I said I want to see the persecution of Christians in America, I didn't say it because I have some you know, sick desire to see people suffer, uh, but because I have a desire to see the love of Jesus shared with all people. And that's just not happening in our easy, no-pain, Americanized culture of Christianity. So if persecution in America means that the name of Jesus is going to be spread, then I think we should all be in favor of it, even if that means we suffer, even if that means that we have to go through something bad, because the name of Jesus is spread. If God is glorified in it, then we should be more than happy as Christians to endure the trials. So that's, in a nutshell, what I think. And I think Jesus was very clear that, you know, he said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I think we just, we're, we've lived in America so long, we're so used to freedom, that we never want to see anything like that. That we always want to be protected in our bubble, instead of getting out of our bubble for the glory of God. Let, let, let me ask you something to speculate here a little bit. If, 
if serious persecution like that came where where either death or imprisonment or something pretty serious would happen to us for uh, keeping hold of our commitment to Christ, what percentage of the American church today, professing church, do you think would probably stick with it and how much would cave in? You know, that's uh, that's a dangerous thing to speculate on. But I would just say, speaking generally here, I would think maybe 10%, uh, if we're lucky, maybe not even that many, um, just because it would get tough. So not only would you have all, you know, just the clingers on, they would, of course, be gone in an instant. But even the people who said at first they're going to stick with it, when they really face the repercussions, will they stick with it? And I think that's really a question we need to ask ourselves, even as strong believers, you know. It, and right now it's so easy for us. Even even if we, you know, somebody may, might make fun of us because we're Christians, that's not persecution. That's Some of us call that persecution. That's not persecution. That's not real persecution. So I, I think that the church would, would shrink instantly. But at the same time, you have now, you would then have a core group of people who actually believed what they said they believed, mm-hmm. which in my opinion is, is a stronger church than the much larger but more watered-down church. And, and they would be undeterred by the pretenders that would get in the way of those serious in their faith for Christ. Yeah, exactly. And the, the people who would be left would, would love Jesus, and they would be you know, doing what the Holy Spirit told them to do, and they'd be doing it at personal risk. So it makes it much more of an ownership thing. They're actually part of it. Instead of just being you know, kind of there, and they're just kind of going to Sunday church, and that that they would actually have an ownership in it, and they would see the kingdom of God moving. I just think it would be a good thing. It's it's not a, a future that I look forward to as sure. being fun or exciting, but at the same time, I think it would help the church grow. It would help the name of Jesus to be spread, and I am completely behind anything that enables that to happen. You know, the Bible says to count it all joy. When this yeah, comes upon you. So the Bible's pretty explicit about what our attitude is supposed to be uh, about that itself. You, you know, uh, none of us know completely clearly what the plans are of God and what and things are going on. We see in history that God has used things that looked bad, but as a sometimes seemingly unfortunate chastisement, but something that's essential to get his people where they need to be. You know, there was persecution in the early church in the in the days of the New Testament, and it helped the church disperse to do what they were supposed to do is to go throughout the whole world and preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. And they were sort of cloistered there in Jerusalem and a few places, and persecution drove them out. Uh, of course, we know about the exile and how God told the people not to resist Nebuchadnezzar coming because this exile was certainly important for that purpose. And when people did try to do it, they suffered. And, and you know, that has crossed some even some people's minds about some of the struggles that America faces right now with... Uh, whether it's Sharia or one of those other kind of things. We've uncovered a lot of things on our show here, looking through the history of it, that a lot of these things are self-inflicted. Due to our interaction with the Muslim world, like throwing over the government of Iran, uh, their democratically elected government, uh, to take over their oil fields, or you know, putting our bases where their religious sites are and things like that. And the Christian community just sweeps that under the rug and doesn't talk about the offenses that we've done that might be contributing to it. Uh, and, and other things that, that there may be a purpose of of uh, actually teaching us some things. God may be even using the Nebuchadnezzars of the world uh, to deal with American Christians or other people in the West or things like this. You know, the, the other thing I didn't mention, too, is that uh, the Lord may have to send people like that to our country so we'll share our faith with them because we certainly haven't sent very many missionaries into Muslim worlds because it's a dangerous place. 
and it's not been as much of a priority. And if the God sends them here, we have a much better shot of being able to sh- yeah. put a saving faith in Jesus gonna, Christ with them. We're not going to cut it. our head off if they live down the street. Right. You know. And yep. so we should consider it an opportunity. Uh, and, and that's where I think having a God's eye view, that's why I get back to this whole thing with persecution. If we have a God's eye view of what he's up to rather than our immediate personal interest, and a lot of times our personal interest and in what we're told to fear and, and what to trust comes through mass media sources. It could even come from Christian mass media. And we never always know what those agendas always are in every case. And so I appreciate somebody like yourself who actually thinks on first principles on these things. Even even if uh, every Christian doesn't come to the same exact conclusions on every topic, but we stay teachable, uh, you know, we have an opportunity to try to see where God's hand is in this kind of thing. You know, speaking of that... Um, I'd like to know what you think about this whole idea about American exceptionalism, mm. uh, which most of the conservative movement and its Christian wing espouses, and that's really the, the background where I come from, the way I was raised, uh, that sees America in particular with a divine destiny as a Christian nation and really sanctifies any of its actions that it's done trying to serve that role itself. We we hear a lot about that. There was a recent Christian conference with all the major conservative Christian speakers that the topic was um, American exceptionalism. Uh, I know Newt Gingrich, who now is a darling of a lot of uh, Christian conservatives now, his book he just released is on American exceptionalism, which is the whole idea that America really doesn't answer to anybody uh, in the world and what they do in their intervention around the world because they have this mandate from God in their God's arm of activity in the world. What, what's your thinking on this? You know, I think American exceptionalism is absolutely correct. And let me qualify that real fast. I think there is no question that we are the greatest nation in the world. There's no question that America is the greatest, most pro-human idea ever started by man. And I realize that's a bold statement that's out there, but I, I think it's absolutely true. You can look throughout the rest of history and see no other, with the exception of possibly Israel as a theocracy and then a monarchy under God, there is no nation that has been greater than America. Now, I, I do not say that because of America's people. There's nothing xenophobic about what I'm saying. I just believe that the, the foundational principles on which America was built, you know, the equality, justice, fairness for all, even if we haven't perfectly lived up to those throughout our history with slavery, with abortion, with the civil rights uh, movement that had to bring back America from what we were doing to black people, I, I think even considering all that, Looking at our, our principles, they are without a doubt exceptional. Now, I think very few people would say that everything we do is right, that, that what, the things we do are, are, you know, are blessed by God or sanctified even when they're wrong. Uh, and the people who do say that, I would respond, you're wrong, because not everything America does is right. Look at abortion. Look at slavery. Look at what we did to black people and really from the Civil War all the way up till even today, actually, in some places. So I, I think to say that everything we, we've done as a nation is right, that's wrong. But I do think America is exceptional simply because th- these ideas of justice and equality are based off the Bible. Now, I'm not one of those people who says that, you know, of course, we are a Christian nation because, you know, everything about us is Christian. That's, that's obviously not true with all the problems we have. But I do think those, those principles are found in the Bible and they're from God. Now, I, I also want to make clear, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God before I'm a citizen of America. And I, I've, I've, been, I've been forward with that and things I've written. Um, I think it's more important to be 
to celebrate what God is doing around the world than to celebrate America or anything about America. But I think we also have to realize that America is exceptional, not because of us, but because of the principles which make this nation great. Mm -hmm. So, okay. you know, to tear me to shreds if you want, bash <laughs> me, that, 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 that's fine. <laughs> but uh, that, that's just what I think about it, yeah. because just from, from what I've observed, I think you, you got to, again, you can't go to either extreme, but you've got to realize that we are exceptional in many ways, and yet we do have far to go. And America is not more important than the kingdom of God. Well, is there is there any citation in the Bible that you would point to that points to America being exceptional? No, absolutely. No, absolutely not. Um, and in fact, you know, obviously the Bible's written. It, I, I think all of I, I don't deal a lot with the prophecy stuff. Um, I know that you do some occasionally on here yeah. on. And I, I don't look into that. I don't try to read into that. I try to live in the present and obey Jesus right now. I, I don't have a problem with people who do. I just don't. Um, and so, no, no, I don't think there's anything in the Bible that says America is exceptional. But I think just look. I, I've, I've been over to Nigeria before. Nigeria is you know, obviously a country in Africa suffering so much corruption, so much wrong. And the reason why is because they weren't founded on the principles that America was founded on. The, the whole idea in America that that everyone was equal and that everyone deserved justice and deserved life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that whole idea was unheard of. No other nation around the world that I'm aware of actually had those ideas and those principles. Now, I, I could be wrong on that. Right. But, and, and now other countries do, but America was the first. And so I don't think there's, there's anything about us that makes us great. But there's something about our principles. And, and all of those principles, like I said, are biblical. No, I, I can't find a place that says America is exceptional. But I can find the teachings of Jesus that talk about equality and justice. Now God is a God who loves everyone and is, is, he's ultimately the judge. And when you see that and you see what America is doing and allowing freedom and allowing personal responsibility, I think those line up exactly with Scripture. Do, do you feel that America has a divine destiny and a calling to intervene in other nations around the world to have them do something, whatever would be in the interest of America? Yeah, absolutely not. And, and when we start getting into the foreign policy things, I'm not going to say that, hey, we, we do it right all the time or even much of the time. I'm not going to say that, hey, we're following Scripture on this. And I, I think that there's no question that God has blessed America, but I don't think he blesses all of our actions. So in many of these things, I think America has done a lot of good in the world. There's no question about that. But America's also done a lot of bad in the world. So it's, it's not something – I'm not proud of everything America's done, but I am proud to be considered an American. Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's no question about that. Right. You know, the, when I was mentioning the, the interest in it today, most of that is always put in the context of foreign policy. Mm -hmm. And in the fact that we have a divine destiny, a superior role, either – something that's superior than the understanding on how to live in other countries that we need to invoke, or that our interest itself in intervening in a way to promote our interest in other countries is something that has divine sanction. Uh, and this is something that's really popular in Christian circles right now, uh, in the speaking and things like this. And that the foreign policy part is what I think is really a main driver in it right now, is this fact of this uh, divine blessing from God. And... Uh, in fact, I would even submit, not, not only can I not find an example of Scripture where America would have this role, but I can think of other countries um, who might dispute uh, our rank ordering yeah. as being the apples of God's eye. I would, I'll just grab the Faroe Islands, for example. The Faroe Islands, um, um, virtually 100% of their nation are active Bible-believing Christians. 
um, from a missionary we had on our show. About 70% of them listen to Christian radio regularly. And as far as I know, they've never been in, they've never had slavery. Uh, they've never been in foreign wars. They don't have groups like CIA groups involved around the world with other groups. So I would think, you know, based on a biblical expectation of what God's will is, there'd be some other nations that might compete for that if there were such a thing. And I guess the point I'm getting to is I really doubt that there uh, is a such a divine sanction, particularly from what we've learned about our founding fathers. We've had people like Chris Pinto on. I don't know if you've reviewed his work. Uh, his work refutes a lot of David Barton's work about <clears throat> this great Christian faith of our founding fathers, and it, it really quotes the full measure of what their position was with God. And it was very counter to God. And that's not to say that there weren't a lot of Bible-believing Christians at the time of the founding of our nation. And in fact, I still think that the Constitution uh, is is the best document, the best most practical document for governing individuals that we've had on this earth uh, to date. But not that it doesn't have its flaws. Uh, and I think the real danger comes is, is that the part that you very rightly said in, on the foreign policy end is trying to say that doesn't mean that we have a right to force our will. And usually that's not even the will of the people. It is a will of a set people, or a few people who are in power in America who use these arms and the intelligence services that are really imposing their will, not the will of the farmer out in Iowa and what they want to do to the farmer in Russia or anywhere else. It's usually a set elite arm of America that really imposes its will and not the will of the American people. Yeah, but let, me, uh, let me just have a quick Quick response to that, and I, I agree with you overall. I, I think we're basically in agreement on this. Um, like you said, the Constitution is is the best uh, document for governing that we've had, that not just America, but that you know the world has had. And I, I agree that that's where I'm getting the whole American exceptionalism from. That we have that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, now, at the same time, as far as foreign policy, you know, we can get we can get bogged down in this for days. But I would say something like Iraq, whether you agree with it or not, we had America has a duty to protect itself. So when we had intelligence that was faulty, that, that some people say was fabricated, fabricated, we had intelligence and that we had bipartisan support for going in to Iraq, I think something like that is completely fine. And, and I, I don't think that's America forcing its will. Some people think that. I don't think it's America forcing its will on others. I think it's America trying to protect itself. Um, so that, that's just the caveat I would say on that. No, I don't think America should just go in and take over Mexico or take over some country. But we do have a duty, our government has a duty, to protect its citizens. And so I think a lot of the foreign policy we see stems from at least an attempt to do that. Okay, okay. Um, <clears throat> another issue that's really prominent today, another sticky one, um, that I'm sure has probably come across with, with your network there and in your writing is the Dominionist movement. Uh, we referred to it a little earlier in the show about it growing in Christian and conservative circles. Uh, and in fact, uh, if you look on the re- recent Awakening 2001 conference at Liberty University, uh, a major portion of the speakers there come from the Dominionist camp. Uh, you know, you've got the Rick Joyners and Cindy, uh, Lou Engels and Cindy Jacobs people who've now co-opted um, uh, political people like Newt Gingrich and Mike Huckabee and others onto their side and now have uh, Liberty University and others largely working with them, the Family Research Council, focus on the family. In the Dominionist movement, as you know, uh, believe that we are to take dominion over these seven mountains of society, not to have just influence on them, but actual dominion to take control over them, and that um, Jesus' second coming is impeded until the return 
his return cannot come until they have conquered the nations of the earth and then basically hand the keys over to him. Uh, they now have a very prominent role in the Christian political circles right now. Um, what, what do you think about uh, their particular role and, and purpose and things like this in this whole movement? I'm not extremely familiar with the movement, honestly. Um, what you've described, though, sounds like radical dominionist uh, movement to me. It doesn't sound like focused on the family. It doesn't sound like Newt Gingrich or Mike Huckabee to me. Um, I haven't heard their statements promoting something like that. Now, I do think that it's important for Christians to, in a way, take over the government. Not that we should go in and just exercise our authority over people, but that, yes, if we should elect Christians, we should elect people who will fulfill the Judeo-Christian value system, we should elect them into office. I think it's a great thing. I mean, Jesus commanded us to be salt and light to the world, and I think the world does include political circles, does include the White House and the Senate and uh, the House, even the Supreme Court. So I think it's important for us to, to get involved and to vote for Christians. I would much rather be governed by a group of Christians than a group of atheists or a group of Muslims or a group of uh, Buddhists, any other, any other uh, religious tradition except for, except for um, Judaism. I think that's often in line with Christianity as far as principles go. I think I would much rather have Christians just because I agree with them in principle. Now, you, know, you can take this really far, and we've already actually faced this, issues like this before on this program already. You have this extreme views on either side. You've got to find the middle ground. Yes, I want Christians to be in government. Yes, I vote for Christians to be in government. That doesn't mean we lord it over other people. It just means we promote the value system which we hold dear and which Jesus taught. And that, that doesn't mean that, you know, like you were describing, and I, I haven't actually heard of that before, and that's, it is revolting to me that some people think, you know, we should we should be uh, the Christian nation that should take over the world and, and prepare for Jesus coming back. I think that's ridiculous, and I'm willing to say that without any qualms. But at the same time, I do think it's important for Christians to be in government and to have majorities of Christians in government who believe in the principles of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's something you might want to take a look more. I think you'd like to write a lot on that if you looked in that further. Uh, Mike Huckabee and uh, Newt Gingrich were actually... Um, anointed by one of the prophets, Lou Engel. Uh, they have prophets now who that are sp- supposed to take over uh, dominion over our personal affairs regionally. Uh, Rick Joyner's assigned those. I guess uh, C. C. Peter Wagner was the guy above him yeah. that set up the ones that it's, are distributed it's throughout the country. It's hard to follow the, the command structure right. on that, but I believe and it's... So they not only have spiritual domain over all of us individually that fall mm-hmm. underneath them, but they would have civil domain with civil government. And yeah. and Huckabee and um, uh, Newt Gingrich have asked for them to anoint them to be the anointed mm-hmm. ones of these. It, I, I would really recommend you look at it. Anytime you see the seven mountains of dominion uh, that they talk about, that's the buzzwords for the, the, the seven, seven areas. Mountains? It was uh, government, government and education, military, um, uh, media, um, like the arts, I think. Yeah. Uh, you can look them up. Uh, I highly recommend, Elijah, you take a look at that because uh, I know that sounds very, very extreme and it's hard to believe. But uh, it's, it's not nearly what, as extreme as you think. This is what uh, yeah. uh, these leaders have signed on to with mainstream evangelical ministries yeah. uh, in our country right now. Um, how would you? We, we we just referred to this earlier in our discussion, but um, how would you give a report card, Elijah, on the merits and the performance? of recent generations of Christians in America before your generation? Um, and what, what are their strong and weak points, would you say? 
I'm asking for your view as a millennial, okay? And, and what messes of theirs do you think your generation will need to fix? Okay, I'm very reticent to answer this, and here's why. With all my writing and my commentaries I give, I talk about millennials a lot, and I, I always talk about things in terms of what we need to do, what we need to fix. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very not interested in playing the blame game. And mm-hmm. I, I want to answer the question. Um, I'm just not interested in playing the blame game because, you know, ultimately we're responsible for our actions. But it is a good question because we have to learn from the mistakes of right. other people. Right. Um, so I think it's important to consider. I want to I hit the strong points first because, you know, positive first. I think the previous generations of Christians were very dedicated. They were in church on Sundays. They, they were, were faithful to their churches. I think that's something that, that we miss out on as, as my generation. And we're actually very, un, a very unchurched generation. Um, so I think we can learn that from uh, previous generations. Also, I think um, Christians who have come before had a very strong sense of moral right and wrong. Now, not to say their judgment was always correct, but they knew there was a standard that applied to them and applied to everyone. And that's something that my generation has missed out on big time. We want everything to be subjective and everything to, you know, fit in with our postmodern worldview. And that's just not how it does. Now, weak points, and I think this, these are important because this is part of what affects my generation today. Um, I don't think any of the, the several previous generations of Christians trained their children well brought their children up and, and discipled them in the ways of Christianity and, and to follow after Jesus and to be radical for Jesus. I just don't think that happened. And I think we now see that because as the generations go on, they become less and less Christian, more and more secular, and just kind of blending in with the world. So you get to my generation to where they're leaving the church in droves. Once they head off to college, they're gone. I think it's something like 80% of of my generation, when they when they graduate high school and go off to college, they never come back to church. Mm-hmm. Now, not to say they won't sometime. I have great hope that they will eventually, but they they're not coming back right now. And I think another weak point of the of the generations that have come before is that they became too intellectual about their faith. They fell into this idea that faith is about knowledge and about simply intellectual assent to ideas. The idea that Jesus came, the idea that Jesus saves. And they didn't let that permeate their lives and really make a huge difference. So I think that has harmed, in a way, mm-hmm. the, the subsequent generations. Because now, because we saw this intellectual faith, we're now turned off by it. Because in, there's nothing attractive about a simply intellectual faith. There's nothing that sets Christianity apart from other religions when it's simply intellectual. So that's what's turned my generation off, in a way. Now, we still have responsibility for our actions but I think those are, are several good and strong points about previous Christian generations and several big weak points. Mm-hmm. Well, um, yeah, those are excellent points that you make. Uh, one of them that you mentioned about your generation, and I just want to see if you can contrast it to prior ones, you mentioned about your generation thinking justice is really important mm-hmm. and picking up on that. Do, do you think that is in contrast to maybe a reduced priority of that in prior generations? And if so... Any examples of that? Yeah, I think in a way, I think my generation is very cause-driven. So buzzwords like social justice and humanitarian work and compassion work, we love things like that because we really have this desire. I think this is part of the, the swing back against the intellectual faith. We have this desire to make a difference and to see people around us and see lives changed. And this is true even for people who aren't Christians. So we want to see that justice. We want to see all this. And I, I think that's a that's a very good thing, 
but it, it can be, you know, dangerous, I think, at the same time. Um, and I, I, I don't know if we have it more than other generations, but I think we're beginning to act on it more. And it's more of a cultural thing with my generation, uh, that, that everybody kind of wants to be part of this because we want to make a difference and we want to have an impact. Whereas before, you know, and I want to be careful here. I'm not trying to criticize other generations unduly. I, you know, we're kind of falling back in that stereotyping thing, um, which isn't always bad. But when we look at other generations, they were kind of they were good people, they were solid people, but they, I don't think they had that same sense of urgency and that same sense of mission that even the the secular people these days have uh, from my generation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, well, I, I presume that the fact that you said that's an emphasis now of your generation would be the fact that it was not that important for earlier generations, uh, you know, some of those causes and things like that. And I just wondered if there were some examples of, of prior generations of of causes and things that maybe you thought should have been a bigger deal to them that wasn't. Well, one thing I think that was big uh, was, was civil rights. And it's, you know... Looking back on it from my perspective now, 50 years later, it's hard to cast too many judgments, but I think that was one place where the church failed. Um, I don't think they got involved enough in the 60s. Now, there's no question. I, I live in Mississippi where we had lots of civil rights stuff going on. There's no question that there are many godly men and women who did get involved, but there were far too many people who did not get involved, who didn't do anything, who, who might not have you know, aided the racism, but they certainly didn't do something to put a stop to it. Yeah. And I think that, that that's one thing. I think, oh, man, there's so many different – I think the AIDS epidemic when it was first starting up, I think the, the Christian community pulled off too fast um, and they didn't really go in there and get engaged like they should have. And part of that was because a lack of knowledge about the disease. But even then, I think the church should have jumped in on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and looking all throughout, slavery is a big one, uh, and, and that's actually a, a case where people did get involved and it changed. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that there are a lot of causes, and I don't want to point fingers because there are a lot of causes today we miss out on. So I, I think that there are always things that get overlooked by our generations mm-hmm. that are major blind spots that we gotta, we can't go back and fix them, but we gotta make sure today that we're doing the right things. You know, it seems like to me the last few generations um, generally took carte blanche whatever the government told them or what the media told them is the way the world worked particularly here in America, if they said the America said these people are bad people or these are good people or whatever, we would accept it. Or if the government said this is the way things are and why we have to do this or not, without asking hard questions. Uh, Do you think that's true? Is that something that's been a trait of prior generations? They didn't ask the hard questions that the generation now does? You know, I'm not going to say yes or no on that simply because I don't know. I think I'd be making an incomplete judgment on that. I, I didn't live during those times. I can look back and, and try to figure things out, you know, talk to mm-hmm. people, but I just I wasn't around things like that enough to really know. I think always we have a tendency to go along with the status quo, and even today, and I think that's a bad thing. We 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 don't want to always be questioning everything we hear, but we always have to be be running it through the filters that we have and making sure it lines up with what we believe and what we know. And I don't think it's just a problem with past generations. I think it's a problem with every single generation. We want to go along with the flow and not, not ruffle too many feathers, and just get through life. And I think that's that's a major problem. Yeah, yeah. Well, the whole materialism thing can do it when, when you take it to the personal level, not not to get distracted from our collection of things and things like that. That's very important in our country. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, it, it seems like to me, and this is based upon the history over the years of us doing Future Quake that Tom and I have done, 
that we've learned a lot of history that that's verifiable, but it wasn't in our history books. It totally puts a different spin on how we might look at other people or the actions of our government or even our Christian community that we weren't told. And, and I have found them to be pretty docile. I don't know about you, Tom. What do you think? Uh, I feel like I was lied to. Yeah. I mean, I, I hate to put too fine of a point on it, but I feel like I was lied to by my history books. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, Operation Ajax, Operation PB Success, the years of lead in Italy. Thousands of people died in that, and that was our fault. Mm-hmm. Uh, the P2 Masonic Lodge, the Toxum Square Massacre, the Bravent Massacres. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, uh, yeah, I could go on for Things hours. in our country, the Tuskegee Experiment. <laughs> I mean, that all sounds like dirty in, laundry. And what, MK what we, Ultra. Well, I mean, I, I don't know how you would describe yourself, Tom. I mean, I come from a very Lunatic. clearly conservative. <laughs> no, this is what the emailers say. Uh, clearly, a uh, conservative Christian background and upbringing. Yeah. But um, you know, a lot of these things were never brought up to even give reflection before we did things like war or took other extreme measures with people or other things. It was just sort of spoon-fed to us. You know, this has caused me to think, Elijah, in, in the question of putting these questions together for you. Is, is to really summarize what I think, you know, we'll, what, what will the history books say about our generations? And I'm even concerned more about the church, the leadership of our church, because you're even closer to it than we are. I mean, you have a much more prominent position than we have, you know, with a major Christian network and leadership that's well-known around the country. We have a few of these people, uh, like Joseph Fair and others, saunter into our show time and again. But um, when I see the leadership and hindsight of the Christian community in America, you, you mentioned slavery, you mentioned, uh, uh, you know, civil rights and things like that. And I can see some other issues like that where as someone coming from that the right conservative background and culture, I sort of scratch my head and think, what, what are future generations going to think about mm-hmm. what their positions were, you know. And whatever, whichever one I'm in, I think I'm technically the last year of the baby boomers. I was born in '64, so really, yeah, I think that's, I think it's '46 wow. to '64. But anyway, uh, what is the biggest concern you have, uh, Brother Elijah, for America and the Christian community to be faced during your generation? You tell you what, it's not China, it's not economic crisis, it's not um, the Sharia law, it's nothing like that. What about interest rates? Is that the biggest one for your generation? What's that? Interest rates. Yeah, you know, I'm not I'm sure. I'm teasing. I, I, I'm teasing. I'm <laughs> sure you're going to say something much more profound than that. I, I, uh, I, I think the biggest concern I have for America is is that we, I don't want to see America given up by God. Um, and, and not to say that, you know, we just have this special privileged position in God's heart. But you look at Romans, Romans chapter 1, and it you know talks about being given up by God. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, that's, I think, Romans chapter 1, verse 28, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. Yeah. Now, we're already seeing that happen some, and I just I shudder to think what could happen if God completely removes his presence from America and just says, you're on your own now. Um, we're already seeing the effects and the moral decay from that. And I think if it, if it happens more, there's no hope for America, no matter what happens. If, if God removes his presence, if God says, you're on your own, there's nothing that we can do. I, and another thing is that I have this fear that we're going to keep on living in moral and spiritual corruption. Now, things may be turned around, but that's a concern of mine, that that, that could happen. We can continue on with living like we're living, and that's going to just go down until... Until things like you know China taking us over or economic crises, those won't matter anymore because we're in such a state 
a spiritual and moral downfall that nothing else mm-hmm. will matter. What do, you, those, what do you think of the number one issue God would have offense with with our nation? A single oh, issue, not not just a broad thing about like you know immorality or whatever. But mm-hmm. what would be the single one issue? Uh, so many to pick from. I, you know, I think the the one that stands out to me most is abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, abortion has been going on since Roe versus Wade in I think 1973. I could be wrong on that year. Right, right. And we've had millions and millions of babies killed, and the church has done relatively little about it. Now, there are people who do things about it. Um, I'm proud to say that my church is involved, and every week I go out to an abortion clinic. But as a whole, the church has done nothing about it. And I I think in God's eyes, that's obviously abominable. So I I think that's something we should be concerned about, is is the fact that abortion is still here, babies are still being killed, and the church is inactive Mm -hmm. virtually in the fight. How can that be? I mean... the Christian evangelical community has had their political party, the Republican Party, in power for a large part of that period of time, for either most of the Congress or the presidency. Of course, it's gone back and forth. But the times where they've had that, all of those politicians who had overwhelming support for the Christian community said that they were going to do something about it. And for the most part, nothing has been done. The sad truth is there's not much that can be done legislatively um, besides adding regulations on, which, which many states are doing, including my state. But it ultimately comes down to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court's got to side um, against and overturn Roe versus Wade for anything to happen. But, but I do think it's a legitimate uh, question, why hasn't something been done at the legislative level? And I, I think it comes down to misprioritization from Christians. We're focusing on issues that are, that are important, maybe, politically, but they're not, they don't carry the same weight as abortion. So we, we kind of switch the, the importance of things around, mm-hmm. and we want to focus on other things and not abortion. Yeah, you know, I'm not mentioning the Democrats because we know their platform. They're, they're, yeah. they're against, you know, they're, they, they're for abortion, killing babies. Um, but the Republican Party, who has really aligned themselves with the Christian community, the Christian community I don't see has held them accountable in that there have been a large number of Supreme Court justices replaced and even by Ronald Reagan, and many of them, like Sandra Day O'Connor and others, um, were not anti-abortion, were mm-hmm. not anti-Roe v. Wade. So, well, uh, Justice Chief Justice Roberts, who said that there were problems with Roe v. Wade, when he was asked point blank, he said, "Oh no, I'm not going to touch it. Yeah. Not, not going to touch it." I, I think the I think the only congressman that I can think of in recent memory who's put together any legislation to try to actually tackle abortion and begin to put a stop to it was Ron Paul. But yet we see that overwhelmingly the Christian community gives him extremely low marks on their value voting, even though he's the only one that's really taken tangible action for What? Why do you think that is? You know, well, Ron Paul, and, and I, I, you sound like a, at least part supporter here, Ron Paul just stands no chance. Uh, he has no chance of being elected. He's got some... Um, and you may agree with it, but his foreign policy is is not doesn't line up with the majority of Americans. He, he's in a way he's a little bit on on the fringe of of Republicans. Not that he's bad and everything, but he's just he's not in the Republican Party and where people see him. So I think he's just distanced himself too much from the mainstream. And I know the mainstream isn't usually good, but you have to be close to the mainstream in order to get traction in an election. So I think that's why. Um, I, th- there are other candidates that I would support over Ron Paul, 
um, simply because I think overall they're better candidates. And I think that's why I don't think there's any blowback because of, you know, his, his abortion legislation or anything like that. Mm. What What is it um, that you think about his foreign policy? What specifically does Christ, do Christians want that he is against? I don't think there's anything specifically. He's just outside of the mainstream. Um, I, I think kind of the isolationist, um, you know, view that he has doesn't sit well with a lot of Christians. And I, I think often, um, and for good or for worse, I'm personally not a big fan, but a lot of Christians, you know, support uh, Mike Huckabee because he's, he used to be a preacher and things like that. So I think sometimes good candidates are discounted, and, and sometimes candidates are discounted for good reasons. Yeah. He's the guy, Huckabee's the one, he's a Baptist minister, right? Yeah. He was the one that I think he said in the debate last time he wanted to escort the Iranian people to hell. I'm not sure. I, I uh, Yeah, I think I'm, he said that in the debates. He That was when they had the uh, the heckler come on, and all of the Republican candidates wanted to go to war with Iran. Uh, when he said that they were going to attack their boats, and Ron Paul said... Uh, we better check out and see if this is really a real threat from Iran or not. This is right at the time when the debates were going on. And, uh, and it turned out later it was this heckler called the Filipino monkey who had actually gotten on the, the nautical bands. But I can remember that Mike Huckabee was the one who, who in the debate said that he would like to escort these Iranian people to hell. So I always thought that was a, sort of a funny Christian value, you know. Yeah, well, uh, I haven't heard about that, but... Well, you know, our I'm, Christ- I'm, not, I'm not saying it didn't happen. I just I haven't, I haven't right. heard that, so I'm not going right. to cast judgment on it. Our Christian leadership, you know, they've they've endorsed uh, Newt Gingrich, you know, who's recently uh, uh, gone into Catholicism. Now he was more in a New Age kind of stuff, you know, after he left his wife. But uh, they've been getting behind him. And I heard that uh, Franklin Graham uh, recently made a big endorsement for um, uh, Donald Trump. That's absolutely embarrassing. I have no idea what he was thinking. It was it was either a huge misjudgment or uh, Franklin Graham knows something we don't know, and I'm pretty sure it was a, a major misjudgment on his part. Yeah. You just look at the, the moral fiber of Donald Trump, and there's no way that Franklin Graham should have said anything in support of him. Yeah. Well, the one thing, one person I know that, that they have been largely against, like you were mentioning, was Ron Paul. You know, he's a guy who's been married to the same wife for 50 years and mm-hmm. been a faithful Christian, one of the few served in the military itself. But uh, he's never really been for dropping bombs on people overseas, and that has hurt him a lot, I know, in Christian circles. Um, what, how do you think the church will change in your generation in its priorities and nature? How do you, how do you think, think it will really that, look? That's a great question. Um, and it's one I've actually been considering because, you know, I'll be part of this church for the next however long I live, which right. should be quite a little while. If the Lord I, tarries, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, I think... America will cease to be the center of Christianity, and that'll be a major shift. I mean, that's, that's been happening for a while, but we're still the ones sending out missionaries. We're still the ones funding a lot of the mission work. We're still kind of the center of the theological um, understanding of things. America is still the center of Christianity. And that, that's just how it is, because we, we were, for the longest times, the ones pushing Christianity. That's, going to, that's shifting right now. It's been shifting for a while. And I think in my lifetime is going to majorly shift to where some other country, some other group of countries, some other world area will assume the role of the the leader of of Christianity. And not to say that, you know, we all are just going to to bow down to these countries or this country, but at the same time they will be the ones taking the initiative to spread the gospel. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so th- th- that's that's going to be a huge shift, obviously, especially for Christians in America. You know, I, I had heard I had heard by the way that I thought South Korea actually sent more missionaries than than America does for some period of time. Does, does that ring a bell, Tom? You yeah, that's that's my understanding of it. I don't know the actual yeah. statistics, but it's always been my understanding since yeah. well since I looked it up a couple of years ago that South Korea was ahead of us now officially. You, you I haven't seen the statistics, but but I, I yeah. think it, South Korea might be on top of us now. But I think in another twenty years, you'll have quite a few nations who are sending more and more missionaries, and China, we're going to start sending fewer and fewer. China is sending missionaries to the Middle East. Hmm. They're actually sending them because they're used to getting beat up. We I met a guy who's a Swedish <laughs> guy who uh, has a ministry. He takes Chinese and he sends them to the Muslims because the Muslims can do things to them, and they're used to it. It's business yeah, as usual. Like, you know, it's like being in China. They get beat up, they run away, and they come back and start doing it again. So, you know, what I suspect, uh, Brother Elijah, is that, uh, we, you know, we, we, we give America a rough time here on our show, and, and I'm glad we live here. I'd rather live here than anywhere. Um, but uh, I, we, we really, really wonder sometimes if, if we have such an Amer- American-centric view here in the church, if, in fact, the majority of God's attention already has been elsewhere for some time. And we're sort of basking uh, in this idea that, you know, we're still the apple of God's eye and that the center of activity in the church revolves around us. And I, and I just, I'm sure it will continue, like you say, but I wonder if it's already been underway for some time. Because oh, of, yeah, there's no question it has. And it's, it's just been shifting uh, over time. I just think we're going to see an acceleration to that, to where America won't become, you know, a non-entity in the Christian world, yeah. but will definitely drop down in status. And I think not only in, in what we send and what we do, but in how people view us. No longer will we be viewed as the sender of missionaries, the sender of funds, but we'll be yeah. viewed as just another nation who needs God, and we're going to start having lots more missionaries come our way. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I think there's um, another thing that's going to take place kind of alongside this. And I, I think part of it is um, because of my generation's emphasis on it, but I think we're going to have a renewed focus on compassion and compassionate ministry and working in the gospel with compassion. Mm-hmm. I think for a long time we've, we've had this idea of evangelization. You've got to hand out tracts and try to get commitments. Right. And that's going to that's gonna slow down some. I think it'll be more about working with people and helping them and be through that they'll see experience life change mm-hmm. um, so I, those are those are two big shifts that i see yeah. coming what about the whole mega church trend do you think that will continue on with your generation or, or will they be tired of that you think and move on to other things yeah i mean it'll move on you'll always have that you'll always have great speakers um who are going to be very charismatic and attract lots of people to them with with great programs and all that but i really think as a whole at least in america i can't speak for the whole world but at least in America, I think you're going to start seeing smaller, um, maybe more tailored specifically to different needs, but smaller um, groups that start popping up, and maybe even independent groups. But it would be similar to the early church, I imagine, just house churches and things like that, small groups of people, mm-hmm. which can be very good for things like community, but also introduces the problem of theological corruption and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But I think we'll see, we'll see a trend towards fewer large churches and more smaller house churches. Hmm. Uh, on, on this vein, um, who, who would you envision of a Christian leader today, uh, or emerging Christian leader, is someone who you admire, who you think will be the, the, have the most impact in the Christian world in the next 20 or 30 years, and who, who is another one who may have a big impact but who 
sort of scares you a little bit, who you're concerned about. What, what, what would be an example of each of those? I, I don't keep up with the whole Christian evangelical in crowd a whole lot. Yeah. But but someone I respect right now, and I realize he has his flaws, but someone I respect right now is Mark Driscoll. He's the, the founding pastor. He actually planted Mars Hill Church in Seattle. Mm-hmm. It's a large, growing church. It's got about 10,000 or maybe eleven or 12,000 members now. It's, it's growing really fast. It's one of those mega churches. But he is... A kind of new breed of megachurch pastor. He is very, very conservative in his theology. He teaches the Bible and he believes the Bible. At the same time, he combines that and combines the teachings of the Bible with a culturally relevant approach. Uh, Seattle is the most unchurched city in America, mm-hmm. uh, from what he has said. So he's trying to reach out to this population of, of lost young people, and he's doing a phenomenal job of it. So I think he is a, is a great leader, not because he gets everything right. I disagree with him on some points, but because he has this idea of, yes, keeping the gospel real, yes, keeping the gospel you know, in its original form, at the same time making it attractive, and making it um, impacting the younger generation. So Pastor Marshall Church, Mark Driscoll, I think he is, is going to be play at least some part in the, mm-hmm. in the coming years of Christianity in America. What about uh, of a similar leader who also will have a big impact, but you may think in a negative way, one that you're con- concerned you know, about? I, th- I think someone who's already had a big impact, and it's hard it's hard to you know look into the crystal ball and see the future here, but I think someone who's already had a big impact, a big negative impact, is, is also a pastor of another church called Mars Hill, and that's Rob Bell. Mm-hmm. You're probably from, familiar with his new book that came out, Love right. Wins, right. talking about how, how hell doesn't exist, and, and pretty much promoting universalism, the idea that everyone in the end will be drawn to God in the afterlife, and there will be no one left in hell because everyone will be reconciled to God, which we know is not a biblical view at all. So I think he's, he's having a, a very negative impact. He's got a large church, too. And so I think he's kind of the opposite side. It's so ironic these two pastors with the uh, churches named Marshall, named the same thing, mm-hmm. with completely differing approaches, both who are very popular. And I, I think Mark Driscoll comes out on top here because he is the one who sticks with the Bible, whereas Rob Bell is, is willing to throw the Bible to the wayside to make it more palatable to the people he's trying to reach. Well, you know, I think Marshall may be a, a appropriate name for both of them when you think about it representing in Scripture a place where... Man had to represent how to properly understand who God is and his yeah. relationship to Him. Uh, you know that was a place where Paul went and put in his two cents with the, with the Greeks about what was the proper nature of God and what He expected of us and things. And you see two different people with the same name trying to tackle that with different results. Yeah, you know, I almost wonder if God has a little bit of sense of humor here. He's say, trying to make the contrast for us because it's so obvious. You got these two mega mega churches, both yeah. named the same thing. With, with pastors who are taking completely different approaches. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder if God's just trying to make the contrast for us in a slightly humorous way, saying, all right, make your decision, America. You're gonna, yeah. you know, not, not that we want to follow Mark Driscoll or follow Rob Bell, right. but follow, follow their approaches. You know, do we want to trust mm-hmm. in God and take a very strict stance on the Scripture, or do we want to kind of take this looser approach and, and more all-encompassing, inviting approach? Right. It, right. It's going to be interesting to see what America does, because what we do in the next couple decades is going to determine, I think, our fate. Mm-hmm. Well, your generation may be a tale of two churches. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, that's, a great, that's a great point. Like the... The, the two towers. It was the best are, of times. It was yeah. the worst of times. <laughs> exactly. Best of churches, that's, that's worst nice. of churches. You should write a book that starts out like that. Okay, well, I'll get started tonight on it. <laughs> um, what is the... By the way, can you stay for just a few more minutes? I know we're taking you over time. 
just to wrap uh, up. Yeah, I've got, got a few more minutes. Wait, tell, tell us, just blow the whistle when you got to go here, okay? All right. Um, what is the best strategy that you think your generation of American Christians need to apply to best meet the goals the Lord has for them? And what are some of the biggest mistakes they could make if they're not careful? I want to try to make this pretty easy, and, and I'm actually stealing this from a very popular teacher guy. You might have heard him. His name's Jesus. And he said in Matthew 20, 18 to 20, you know, the Great Commission, he said, go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing, teaching, and all of that. I think um, the best strategy is making disciples. And what I mean by that is, is we talked about this earlier in the program, but we have to make it more personal and less commit, one-time commitment-based and more lifestyle-based. So what I mean by that is not that we shouldn't, you know, have a moment of of believing and having faith in Jesus. We have to be saved, but we don't want to focus on that commitment. We want to focus on making the commitment and then what comes after. And I think when we work on that discipleship, that that training, I think that is is the strategy that's really going to work with my generation because we're not interested in tracks. You know, you hand us a track. If somebody hands me a track on the street. That, that's nice. I'll probably glance at it to see what they're talking about, and then I'll, I'll, I'll toss it in the trash. I don't care. But if someone really wants to sit down and talk to me and learn about me and, and you know, really invest in my life, that makes a difference because, because that, it shows that they care about me. And that's attractive. So I think that's the strategy to really winning back my generation is making disciples, doing it personally, and not just trying to make it easy and, and have commitments but really having life change. Life what, change is what's going to attract What people. about having great big crusades with big choirs and stuff? Would that resonate with your generation? You know, I don't think so. And that, that, that's worked in the past. We've seen it yeah. work in the past. It's, it's, a, it's, it's good when, and praise God that it's worked and that God yeah, bless that. Right. But at this point, I don't think that's going to work because my generation is turned off by that sort of thing. We're not interested so much in, you know, a preacher up there just lambasting us with the truth, even though that's, that's good often. We're interested in, you know, hearing personal stories and meeting people and really hearing about them and about their life. And that's what changes. Um, it's, it's really interesting how different generations are impacted by different things. And I don't think the crusade style would work at all for my generation. Yeah. Uh, so in other words, are you saying the church needs to really be more aggressive in teaching uh, the people within its each body on how to feel comfortable sharing their faith with people that they know outside and being able to slowly disciple them through the fundamental teachings of the Bible one-on-one? Yeah, I, I, I think so, and I think we need to make sure we, we don't turn it into a formula because yeah. that's, that's the temptation right. a lot. You know, right. All right, here are your three scriptures, and then after this, after you do the three scriptures, go ahead and throw your little personal testimony in there and then finish with this clinching scripture and, right. and then hope that they make the decision. You know, that's, that's worked in the past. I'm not saying it's bad. But I think we need to make sure that we're training people just to be authentic and to be able to say, hey, this, is, this isn't how I came to know Jesus. This is how Jesus changed my life radically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I see that, that, that you're, you're experiencing struggles right now, and Jesus can come in and change your life radically. And once we start doing that, then God can start moving through all that. Hmm. Okay. Doesn't sound like it'd be like the real era for really, really famous Christian speakers and things like that. Like, oh, we just got to get them to come here, so and so, or whatever. Yeah, I don't think so. It's a decentralized approach. It sounds like you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. What What, what are the the kind of mistakes your generation, particularly those who are Christians, the generation could be particularly prone to that they need to be careful of? Mm, I, I think we have to guard against because you know my generation is about humanitarian work, about compassionate work. I think we have to guard against divorcing that compassionate work from the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
So we have to be careful not to say, hey, mm -hmm. here I'm serving you, but then forget to say anything about Jesus. Like some generations have said stuff about Jesus but not have the compassionate work. We've got to put the two together. And my generation is more likely to err on the side of just doing too much ministry and too much compassion without sharing Jesus. Because really compassion without Jesus is pointless because nothing really great will change and happen from that. I think another major mistake that my generation could very easily slip into is failing to uphold orthodox Christianity, failing to uphold the correct theology. I think many people, you know, again, see compassion and see life changes the big things, so, so they'll do that, which is good. But then they'll forget that without proper theology, without the right base for what you're doing, what you're doing really is, is in a way pointless. I mean, you, you will see some fruit, but you have to have the correct theology. And then I, I, this last one is something the church has struggled with since its beginning. But we have to, to balance love and righteousness well. Mm -hmm. Now, in, in the past, you know, other Christians have, have really emphasized righteousness and not done so well in the love. But my generation, again, is doing things differently, for better or for worse, and we're emphasizing love. Love, love, love. you got to love people. But the problem is we don't emphasize righteousness love, enough. So we end up with this kind of lovey-dovey, you know, feel-good gospel without having the righteous standards attached to it. And when you do that, you end up with, well, it's not really the gospel at all. It's just your mm -hmm. imitation of the gospel. So right. those, are the, those are the three, I think, probably major mistakes we could slip into. Boy, and you really have to rely on the Holy Spirit to know when to balance that meter on a case-by-case -case basis, don't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, boy, I so appreciate you sharing uh, these kind of ideas and um, would certainly like for you, you know, we'll try to keep an eye on your writing and things like this uh, that you're doing, but to drop us a line occasionally with your thoughts on some of these things. We we only try to cover the tough stuff, the real easy slam dunk stuff for Christians. We don't see any reason in focusing on it. You know, uh, a lot of people are covering that stuff. But we look at the stuff where it's stuff we have to struggle with, you know, including mm -hmm. yourself and us trying to come up with an answer on, on the things of today. And we'd, we'd appreciate you keep plugging us in with some of your thoughts on this as it evolves. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I alluded to this uh, earlier in the show. Uh, you're getting ready to go off to college. Is it is it Asbury? Is that where you're going? Yeah, Asbury University. It's a it's a small private Christian college in Wilmore, Kentucky. So mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to heading there. I'm planning on majoring in communications. They've got a great communications program there, and so I'm, I'm really looking forward to that that time of growing and learning and being prepared for the mission that God has in store. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, they should just give you an automatic degree. I would say put you as a chair there or something like that. And then with <laughs> the experience you've had so far. Um, you know, that's the land of my father's up there in Kentucky. So, really? you know, that's very, Great. very special land you're going through. It's like a holy land uh, for me. <laughs> you like in uh, reverse, maybe. In reverse. Hey, thanks, bud. <laughs> here, here he comes from the Bay Area of California. He shouldn't be the oh, one talking oh, goodness. You know, about that. Uh oh, goodness. Uh oh. It's, it's horrible. What, what kind of... What kind of plans do you see? I know you're, you're surrendered to the Lord on whatever he has in one step at a time, but what, what do you envision your, your plan God has for you uh, out of I, college uh, and beyond? Yeah, I'm planning on, of course, like I just said, measuring communications. And then when I get done with college, I'm going to go to seminary. Um, I, I know that much. So I'm going to go to seminary, get my master's and divinity degree. And then after that, whatever God has for me. I really have a passion for, for church planning and a passion for overseas mission work. And I don't know how those two are going to work together, whether I'll plant a church here first and then go overseas, whether I'll yeah. go overseas. I, I don't know how it's going to work. But I've got a passion for those two things, and, and I, I, I'm trusting in God that he'll lead me once I get to the point 
Um, but but I would love to to employ both of those things in, yeah. in spreading the name of Jesus. You know, Rob Bell might take you on there at his church. You could get on yeah, there. Yeah, you think so? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. get on from there. Well, I tell you what, if you're called to the Faroe Islands, just let me know. I'll be over there to give you a hand, okay? Uh, all right. That's that's where I see the destiny is. Talking about the promised land to be heading to. <laughs> that's, that's where we're heading. If you want to know where the, the sphere of uh, the church work is going to be. You've lost your mind. It's going into that direction. <laughs> Hey, I want to thank you so much, Elijah, for uh, for sharing this uh, all your time with us. Uh, in closing, is there anything that you want to share with our audience? Any thoughts or things that we need to keep our eye on in the future that you're uh, looking at right now? Well, you know, obviously there are so many issues out there, but my main exhortation right now would just be to to not let all of the issues distract us from our main mission. You know, we're not here to to focus on the issues, all of that that can play into our mission. We're here to serve Jesus. And so I, I think in the midst of all this, it's easy for us as Christians to lose sight of that. But in everything we do, we need to make sure it's directed towards spreading the, the glorious name of Jesus around the world and, and not get caught up in these issues, even if these issues are big. We've got to focus on mm-hmm. Jesus more than we focus on everything else. Uh, amen, brother. Uh, can, can, uh, can we close with a, with a prayer for you and your ministry? Would you mind if we just share oh, a prayer? Oh, yeah, I'd appreciate that so and much. Ask our Futurian listeners to join with us right now, wherever you are, whenever you're listening to this. Heavenly Father, we just pray for Brother Elijah here. We thank you for the pleasure of uh, having him as a brother in the Lord and in our family and to learn from his wisdom and what you have shared uh, with him uh, for us and for everyone else that he's able to reach. We're so glad for the special work that you're doing and the mighty way in which he's able to reach so many. We thank you so much that his mind is turned over to you and to hear your word. Um, We pray that you would continue to guide him. uh, And the same thing that we pray for, for each other, for Tom and I, that we pray for your your guidance to help us where we need to learn, where we need to change our mind on what your view is versus what we think it is, to see more clearly what your desire is for your people and for the people of the world and your mission that you have for us, Lord. We just pray that you would ordain his steps, help him to clearly see your hand at work, not, not necessarily to take away opposition, but that he would clearly see when it's your hand at work and what that you want to see done through him, through whatever ob- obstacles, uh, that may come his way. But, Lord, just, just make your presence made clear to him. And, Lord, we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks. I appreciate that. Well, brother, I thank you again. Please don't be a stranger to our show. You have a standing invitation to drop in and talk about whatever. And we just do some iron sharpening iron here. Uh, there is another show out there called Iron Show, which is on a more extreme case of doing that. But we're a little more genteel. <laughs> Uh, but but we like to struggle on some of these kind of things together in an era of mm-hmm. atmosphere of mutual respect. C- can you tell uh, our listeners how people can follow your work and how they can keep up with your writing? Yeah, the easiest way and where I post everything I write is millennialpundit.blogspot.com, and that's just my personal blog where I throw stuff up. Um, usually, you know, three to five things a week I put up there. Um, just different pieces of writing I do. So if you're interested in checking stuff out, that's the best place to go. Okay. Well, that that is fantastic, and I can't see, I can't wait to see what the Lord does in your 18th and 19th year. Uh, I just hope you don't end up like the Alexander the Great of the Christian world, you know, and when you're 30 years old, don't have anything else left to conquer. But <laughs> I, I'm sure the Lord will have plenty for you to do in your ministry over the years ahead, and it's just real exciting to be here to witness it. And um, We just want to thank you so much, and please come back again to join us here on Future Quake.
All right, absolutely. Thanks so much for giving me this opportunity. We're back at the Future Quake Show with Dr. Future. And Tom, recording a little ditty ditty. Bionic. Whatever that means. Uh, that was our interview with Brother Elijah Friedemann, the host of the Millennial Perspective blog, uh, talking about a voice uh, of the uh, millennial generation speaking. Mm-hmm. And I uh, thought that was a very interesting talk. I wish I could be half as poised as he is speaking oh, in front gosh. of the microphone. Yeah. Sounds like, like a young, I don't know. I can't think of anything off the top of my yeah. head, but very poised. You know, if I went and tried to apply for communication school, there'd be no way I could make it. I mean, they would listen to me and say, there's nothing we can build on from the beginning, so yeah. just give it up. But I think I think he has a really bright future. Um, of course, like we normally do in Future Quake, we only asked him really hard questions, basically. Mm-hmm. No, he did a good job. He had an answer for everything. And uh, um, I suspect from some of the positions and things he's taken on his show, uh, in his blog, compared to some of the, the very powerful folk there he's... Uh, spoken in opposition to that. Uh, can you imagine the years ahead what, where his thinking may go mm-hmm. and uh, migrate over time? Yeah, I think there might be a some further major advances. The extreme positions that some of our guests take will probably be like he's like he's not far yeah. enough. Yeah. Anyway, can you imagine how much we have changed in like three years? Yeah, think about that. Think about the path we're, That's yeah. for sure. Well, yeah, not all of us can keep the athletic figure I have. Uh, Brother Tom was making fun of me because during this interview, yeah, um, Doctor Coke Thrower. Well, our our dear staff member Pyro was was listening away here and heard Mrs. Future uh, come near the studio, and somehow entangled himself with my headphones and all the wiring, and knocked over a full glass of Coke onto the computer and electronics and the the office here, on the way. So, hopefully that didn't come through on the, on the interview there. We went straight ahead, but that's that shows we're not quite ready for prime time. Mm-hmm. It's amazing people listen to us, isn't it? I don't know why. <laughs> you know what? I did get a I did get a great uh, uh, email from a brother in Brazil. He's a cartoonist. Yeah, cartoonist in Brazil. He said he just loves listening to Future Quake. He feels like we're family. <laughs> yeah, the Manson family. Yeah, but like a family that. nevertheless. So that was that was good. I've gotten a lot of emails from people who've been really encouraging lately. Me too. Yeah. Me too. And I and I so appreciate it so yeah. much. Even even Sister Audra emailed me. Really? Uh, yeah, from down there in South Africa. Really? I didn't even know the internet went down there. Yeah. It's those electrons they get real slow by the time yeah. they get yeah. over there. Tired. Yeah. Uh well we'll give Audra our, our best out there. Yeah. And also Brother Dion who's in her same area mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Um any kind of thoughts on, on some of his perspectives? or? Well, I didn't agree with all of it, but, you know, what's new? What's new? I thought, like you said, I felt he was very compo- uh, composed and poised. He had an answer for everything. Um, and I would just in, just encourage him as, you know, uh, the rest of us to keep sort of digging in there and right. seeing what, what goes on, you know. And listening to each other. Mm-hmm. Because we still got a lot of growing up to do ourselves. Yeah, I'm three years would old agree and I'm that. like a four-year-old here. Yeah. Yeah, that's what our listeners tell us about both of us. But mm-hmm. anyway, yeah. there must not be much in the way of programming out there for people to come every week our way. But we so still appreciate all yeah. of you all are out there. In fact, I will mention two people I particularly appreciate this week. Uh, well, Joe uh, in particular, who um, made a donation to our ministry. I want to thank you, Brother Joe, for that. And also I want to thank Jacqueline. She she got a book, book set. 
Sweet. Which nobody's done that in a number of weeks. They were starting to get cobwebs on them. Mm. And uh, I tell you what, these the book set, if you want to try to get somebody, a loved one or a friend at church, to think of the big picture of what we're talking about, it is an ideal way to do it. You should, if, if you like what we're saying here at Future Quake, you should buy five book sets for your best friends and give them away. If you hate everything we're saying, you should buy them for your five enemies and give them, give them away. <laughs> the common thing is just buy the book sets. Go to the front of futurequake.com. You can see a link on there. And uh, uh, Brother Andrew Hoffman, one of our dear friends who we might be hearing from in the near future, mm-hmm. uh, is giving us a hand with that. And we appreciate this so much. Mm-hmm. That Great is basketball helping, player. Helping with, is he really? No, I don't know. I, I just know. threw that in there. It would help with some expenses and things that uh, some things we're incurring right now um, that would help us out a lot on that. Mm-hmm. Um, any other announcements you have? Um, life is hard sometimes, but the Lord is still on the throne. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Uh, oh, you know what? I do have one announcement. Yeah. Uh, if you have uh, 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 Brother Chris White and I are putting together a sort of a longer documentary uh, uh, compiling a lot of testimonies of people who've beat um, uh, sleep paralysis using the power and authority of Jesus. And if you have a testimony like that, if you've been a listener for a while and have something like that, mm-hmm. you know, please send it, uh, you know, to me at stop uh, help at stopsleepparalysis.org. Okay. Um, and it can be video or audio or written. Uh, any of those will be fine. Okay. And you, your testimony might particularly helping. A brother or sister in the Lord mm-hmm. who was in the throes of this. Yes. You might be the key, your testimony to get him out of that. Mm-hmm. So we'd sure like to hear yeah. you hear you do that. Yeah, that, that's a that's a little project we're doing. We need mm-hmm. y'all's futurian help. Well, thanks for your faithfulness in doing that. Uh, I hear more and more it's like a fairly yeah, universal I mean, problem people are dealing with. I mean, I, I you know I can't kick, kick a football and I just you know not can't play guitar and impress. You can people, play so. eighteen instruments. Don't yeah. don't say that, man. I I struggle with envy. I struggle with like biblical problems when I hear you play any yeah. instrument. Ladies and gentlemen, if you could only hear Brother Tom here play, you would think, why is he hanging around with you, Doc? Because uh, well, that's the same the thing I thought to. as well too. Yeah, it's real simple. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm glad the Lord told you that. Yeah. Uh, somebody else has something to say, and that's Merv, who can tell all of you how to contact us here at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, that's the end of the road. That was a great segue. Thanks. It was a good one. Uh, you know, I miss doing our news segments, too. Me, too. We always man, love the there interviews. was so much People news going on. I was just like, man, did you know a guy? Uh, a guy in his... He got indicted. He was a high-level member of the Sinali Sinalayo cartel, like a huge cartel. You know, one of the high-level guys. And uh, in his in his uh, initial opening statements of stuff, he said that he he uh, he trafficked cocaine and heroin and everything uh, with the express uh, written. Uh, ascent of the Department of Justice, the CIA, the Department of Homeland Security, and one other one. And he says he can prove it. Mm. 
Uh, Sinaloa cartel. Okay. Yeah. And he says he can prove it. And this is going on in a federal courtroom in Chicago. Well, can you hang that on for us for yeah. weeks ahead? I printed it out and threw it in my threw it in my car. And I okay. Was like, oh, there's no news tonight. Well, let's just oh, hang on to that. We'll uh, have some more. Yeah, there's some other late breaking stuff of interest. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. You know, of course, if if uh, Al Qaeda bomber, an Al Qaeda bomber turned out to be an MI6 agent just today. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, if Harold Camping's right and and the Lord returns on May 21st, all this will probably be moot. It'd be nice. But uh, if not. We will be back, ladies and gentlemen, to cover these issues and continue to do that. But until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. Quake, quake, quake.